Missy Coffey, co-PI for EC DataWorks. And I'm Phil Serenides, uh, PI, and excited to be back with another episode talking about early childhood integrated data systems. And today we're talking about maximum appropriate involvement of community members. So Phil, we often talk about stakeholder engagement in planning, creation, the use of data systems. We've been talking about this for some time. But as states have begun to actually operationalize these systems, we've seen a shift in the way that they're thinking about how they've engaged stakeholders. So I think what you and I, as we began EC DataWorks, really spent a lot of time thinking about an intentional way to approach stakeholder engagement. Um, that I think really uh, learned, <laughs> kind of leveraged those lessons learned that we had in the early days. I remember um, as states began to think about how they operationalize their EC IDSs, that I think it was really hard for them to then think about how they made the shift with the stakeholder engagement from this planning conversations to what does it look like to now use the data and create data analytics in an ongoing way that evolved to the needs of their stakeholders. Yeah, uh, obviously there are not many people in state early childhood agencies who claim to know a lot uh, about how to build analytics and data systems. That's that's why, one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast, but there are plenty of folks who would say that they know how to engage stakeholders. And we want to maybe distinguish the stakeholder engagement for designing analytic tools um, compared to stakeholder engagement for policy or for system work. And so, in fact, when you engage stakeholders in the typical ways, it can lead to an approach that is not helpful. And there are some challenges that come along with any kind of engagement and specifically when you're developing analytic tools. And we've said, you know, historically for years, state teams should include diverse stakeholders early and often. And we've just seen that lead to frustration and sometimes fatigue of those who have been included, right? Yeah, so we've learned a lot over, I think, the last decade about how frustrating it can be for stakeholders who don't see progress after the years of work. And especially given that data systems take so much time, it's really hard to have those quick wins. The wins that they do have are usually rather basic and they're kind of fundamental basic needs um, of the stakeholders, not the advanced work that I think they're really hoping to get to. And so I think that that is a little frustrating. I think the other thing that we've learned is that often states will bring everybody to the table thinking this is a good opportunity to gather buy-in. And by bringing these large groups together in that way, I think what we've seen over time, and especially given the time that it takes to, to build these systems, it's really led to a little bit of frustration, um, which has been fascinating to kind of see and to hear as we've kind of surveyed stakeholders over, over the years and talked to them most recently through EC DataWorks. But I think part of our data analytic tool development over the last years um, has used a different approach that's been a little bit more intentional about how and when we include different uh, groups that actually can lead to some meaningful change about how we gather their information needs. Yeah, and we're going to talk about the model that, that we used and in Texas. But first, let's just do some, some then and now, right? And, and really get into what has, what has changed in the thinking around stakeholder engagement specifically for these analytic and, and, and data projects. So one of the things, right, that, that I used to say, we used to say is one way to create buy-in is by engaging stakeholders. And to a certain extent, I think that when many of these systems didn't even exist yet and we wanted to legitimize them and we wanted to create ambassadors that would support them. And so and we really wanted not just data users, we wanted constituencies of support to sort of legitimize these systems. But we created a, a, an expectation that you were, it was going to be a linear process, that we were going to start and make progress over time. And more often, it's the case that most of the progress that's made is in small steps and is not always linear. So now I think our realization is that these data system leads not to immediate changes in any sort of obvious way, but to having data over time that will change conversations. And the, the objective of the system and the way that we track its, its success needs to be communicated to the stakeholders so that it sets them up for appropriate expectations. I think building from that, Phil, the reality of that, you know, we used to say engage early and often. And again, both building from this idea of buy-in, but the challenge with that is they move into more of the operational data system and the engagement of the stakeholders. 
is that that led to a lot of frustration about, well, what are the priorities around the data analytics? It takes a lot of time to do so. We're very fundamental kind of elements that we have in these data systems. We can't do a lot of advanced kind of analyses yet. So I think what we've also learned is that they need to articulate the general learning from the opportunities for engagement where they can get feedback. So I think what we've seen with some of the states over time is that when they can be really specific about, we need to better understand your information needs here and here, and then managing those expectations about what they can do early given the data they currently have and what that can build over time, I think is also really helpful kind of to manage that expectation. But the engagement early and often did lead to a lot of kind of burnout, I, I would say in a lot of these states. Absolutely. And to know which stakeholders provide relevant feedback on certain aspects of the tool and to have a plan or a sequence of when they will be engaged and and help them understand how they fit into the bigger picture has been another area. All of these things are helping us and as we'll hear helping Texas move toward a more effective stakeholder engagement process that that drives forward the work around around data and data use. Yeah, I you know, you think about some of the examples we've seen over time, Phil, and and well, actually probably in many states we've seen this idea that they bring all the stakeholders into a room and one of the first things they ask about is the technical design. Where you and I both know that's often not the hardest part of this conversation, but it is the most concrete. But it also, that is really a technical team conversation once the needs are identified. And I think that's been really hard to assume. We leave, we, we engage a broader stakeholder of often policymakers and program folks in a conversation that is technical when really we should be leaving those technical decisions to the technology team to then bring back to the group to say, here are some options, what might be best for the group? And I think those states who have taken that approach have seen more progress. So I, I do think this idea of having really well-identified roles um, and the, the lessons we've learned over time about providing those feedback opportunities and being clear about the kinds of uh, feedback that different types of roles will provide to this, the process has really been helpful for states. I think they've accepted that a lot of the credibility of this work and the people leading the work is dependent upon these successes and this different way of engaging stakeholders that it doesn't get stuck in this old approach where, again, early and often and everybody kind of having the same say and then people not seeing their feedback used in the, the appropriate manners, but being a lot more thoughtful about who is engaged, what kinds of feedback you'll need from them, and then using it to really inform the decisions. So in this episode, I think we were fortunate to talk to Howard Morrison, who led the data analytic uh, team in Texas. He's going to share some of the history and the effort that, they were work- uh, that they've been working on to integrate data in Texas talk a little about their community members he's engaged, the model that he used, and then we're going to hear actually from one of his stakeholders and then wrap up with some of the lessons learned from Howard over time. So let's hear uh, what he had to say about maximizing appropriate involvement of community members. Missy Coffey, PI for AC DataWorks, and I'm joined today by Howard Morrison, a statewide coordinator from the Texas Education Agency in the Early Childhood Education Division. Thanks for being here today, Howard. Hello. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. I appreciate you taking some time to share with us a little bit about your experience in Texas and the creation of your Early Childhood Data Initiatives. How did that lead then, Howard, to your state applying for the EC DataWorks project? So, Ultimately, it was fantastic timing for us uh, as I had been working on the SLDS3 project for many years, um, and I had attended a conference um, and really started hearing about the early childhood integrated data work that was happening across many other states. And so the EC DataWorks project was a great opportunity for us to apply for and then be able to receive uh, technical assistance and support Um, and the opportunity to gather stakeholders together uh, to really kind of look at what were some unmet needs across our state that we could uh, facilitate through stakeholder meetings to identify what would be most useful for them in a report or an analytic tool. So people on the ground, uh, teachers, administrators, program directors could really make informed decisions uh, across uh, community collaborations, uh, program improvement, different areas in the state. With such diverse information needs, how did you know 
what appropriate engagement might look like for each of these stakeholders? And do you feel like you hit the right balance of that when you engage these groups? Um, so I think with the broad representation and I think the keeping the stakeholder group, you know, at a range from 20 to 30 folks, I think allowed us to keep that targeted and focused on the information uh, that we were looking at. Um, one of the approaches that I wanted to take over that through that stakeholder work was be able to provide them the available data that we were currently working with, but then also kind of give them an idea of, okay, here's the data that we currently have and what's available. What data would be most useful uh, to you all that we currently don't make available in a public report? And then you had a lot of feedback from that, right? <laughs> so I can imagine that there's a lot of different thoughts on what information might be needed to help them do their jobs well. So how did you go about prioritizing those into the focus that became the Texas School Ready or the Expanded School Ready tool for Texas? Sure. Um, that was really some of the exciting part of the work was being able to hear all the ideas from the various stakeholders from um, the Texas uh, Rising Star, Texas School Ready representatives um, to the school district representatives to the ESCs. And really the common themes that we saw. So that's, we really wanted to give them kind of pie in the sky ideas. If they could have an analytic tool tomorrow, what would they want to see? And so that kind of, you know, led to a hundred ideas. Well, across those hundred ideas, we started to see many kind of trends and themes about what would be helpful and what would be useful. So that's where we started to kind of narrow down and anything that was outside of uh, that would maybe be a new data element that we weren't collecting, we would just kind of have to table that for, should we be able to collect this at some time, that would be great to have, but that's not within the scope of this project. Additionally, we were looking at two data sets, so our pre-K and kindergarten data that's collected in our um, early childhood data system, but also our Texas Rising Star data. So it had to be information from both those uh, data entities, to be able to make available in this analytic tool. So we were looking for common themes in a lot of the information that was provided and then data that was available. But then also thinking, okay, now that this data, you want this data, how are you going to actually use this data? So what actions are going to be taken um, once this data is available to you? And is that really a necessary uh, data element to be visualized? And so that was kind of the things that we kind of kept hitting on over and over with some of the stakeholders. And that really kind of got them thinking about what would be most useful for them to have. And did you, Howard, engage each, I mean, all of the stakeholders in every step of the process? Because you just walked through a couple of different activities from the goal statement to creating a use case to then looking at what data would be needed to inform that. So, and then I'm sure you're still working on the, the implementation of this tool now. So, were they all included the entire time or how did you go about engaging the right people at the right time if that was a different approach? Sure. I mean, this work was done over multiple um, stakeholder meetings, uh, webinars, uh, surveys that were administered to the stakeholders. Um, some were also administered through one-on-one -on -one interviews about information. So there was multiple approaches to obtaining this information. Um, and this happened over a period of time. So the feedback was kind of iterative. So we'd have the initial information, you know, make adjustments, develop edits to develop a use case, develop information to create a mock-up based off the information uh, that was provided. So the information would be then shared out, either being the next stakeholder meeting or via email communication or via a webinar or conference call to then um, garner and solicit additional feedback uh, based on the information provided. Looking back on what how you have engaged stakeholders in Texas around your data work, what is something you thought about the process early on that you have revised your thinking about now? Looking back, I think the challenging part of some of the stakeholder engagement is some of the folks that you really want to have in the room or at the table 
are often juggling, you know, multiple other projects. Um, so initially, I think we had some um, a little bit heavy in the early childhood organizations, advocacy organizations, higher ed, and had a smaller representation of some of the regional uh, reps, some of the district and uh, Texas Rising Star providers. So looking back, I would have uh, tried to expand upon the number of stakeholders in those areas uh, just to have a little bit better balance. I think sometimes uh, some of the university level folks or or advocacy or organizations have some stronger opinions that are kind of geared towards meeting the needs of some of the work they're doing. Whereas some of the educators in a school district or the Texas uh, Rising Star program are really kind of thinking about what's going to be most beneficial to them. So really striking a little bit better of a balance there. I think as my role um, in leading some of the stakeholder work, um, I had to kind of uh, manage uh, those different personalities to ensure every voice in the room was heard. Um, And so that one individual wasn't driving or leading kind of the conversations uh, in one direction. For me, or for us, I believe that process worked really well. Um, I think the great thing is that we had not had the opportunity to pull all those stakeholders together to do that work before. So I think historically, we've developed public-facing reports just based on legislative requests or legislative needs um, or potential public reporting needs. Um, We had not developed any reports actually based on our stakeholders or our user needs. And so that really was the change for us that um, is making this a significant impact. And Howard, did you find that through the process you needed to provide any training on uh, to your stakeholders on data itself, the the process used in the state, how to understand data. Was there any training provided to help them be the best kind of contributors they could be? Yes. Um, so that I found to be really important. Um, I kind of went into it actually thinking that some of our stakeholders had a better understanding of some of the data that we had available. And not that they didn't understand all the data elements. They just weren't aware of some of the information or some of the reports. So I found it extremely useful to kind of do a knowledge kind of level set amongst stakeholders to be, you know, kind of go through, here's our data collection. Here are the data elements that are collected in, you know, for pre-K, for kindergarten. Here are the data elements that are made publicly available. And so once we completed the public pre-K side for the early childhood data system, then we went to our partner agency, TWC, and their Texas Rising Star data that's collected and went through. Here's the program information that's collected under TRS. And so that was most useful um, because that really kind of set the stage for here's the data that we have available and ensured that each stakeholder there had a common understanding of that information. Missy, it's great to hear Howard's perspective as someone who is leading the work in Texas. Um, Not only how do you bring together the group, the right group of people, and in the same room have those conversations, but then Uh, continue to maintain their engagement and trust over time. Um, He's been very thoughtful about who needed to be part of these conversations um, and which conversations and what is happening not only in the meetings, um, but between those meetings. Yeah, and I appreciated how honest Howard was about the need to balance the voices in the room and how he had to really, as a facilitator, think through the right approaches, not just when to bring the folks together, but what happens between Um, the group kind of meetings that he was hosting, as well as the multiple ways to engage, right? So not everybody wanting to come to the meeting and engage um, 
in a way that while they were processing a lot of the information that was being presented. So he had to find other ways um, to check in with folks, whether it be, you know, he, he mentions the webinars that they hosted. He just had he just had multiple ways to engage in, in during the presentation. I think they also did a lot of surveys, kind of just to check in with folks and provide feedback in written forms as well as verbal communication. So I think overall, he did a nice way uh, of describing the facilitator's role of this process and, and really thinking through thoughtfully how do you how do you engage different kinds of folks and different kinds of learners really in this process, much like we do in general education? And I was lucky enough to be able to speak with Jennifer Martinez um, about her role as one of Howard's stakeholders. And Jennifer has a more regional perspective. She works very closely with the Children's Learning Institute uh, on an, an initiative called Texas School Ready. And she was able to share some of her perspective on the experience. Let's listen. Hi, Jennifer. Can you talk a little bit about why you engaged in the data analytic development work that Howard and others were leading in Texas to support school readiness and what role the recess grant played in that development? And this grant really looks to um, provide and develop community partnerships, public and private partnerships for, uh, for child care centers and school districts. And so we wrote in that what we wanted to do was really align every child care center that was in the footprint of a school district. We want to align them to the school district. So we don't want it to look like there's like all these little centers scattered around in a school district disconnected from the education system, but actually a part of the system. And so um, there's many ways that that can look. Um, the highest we call it, we have levels of partnerships. And so kind of the highest level is where there's a school district teacher actually going to teach at a child care center. They're the teacher of record and they enroll duly enroll those students. But more recently, and as we begin to ramp the grant up, um, the partnerships look more like sharing professional development and identifying opportunities for shared services. So uh, maybe the the school district's um, custodial services could provide those their same services out at the child care center or um, maybe food service. So they're sharing services as opposed to each agency is um, or each child care center is providing their own. But if we collaborate um, together and look for cost savings ways to provide those services through these collaborations and these partnerships, then um, kind of everybody wins. These are, are questions and things that you've been working on for a while, but now the, the new aspect is we're, you, uh, Texas is, is integrating data that had never been brought together before, specifically the child care quality initiative and sort of information from providers that's being brought together with uh, education data from Texas's uh, education agency. And I just wonder, if, how did that process work out? I think that it was the collaboration, the, the conversations that were occurring in those meetings were very powerful. And it was great to hear um, kind of the same stories. And I think, like you said, like it's, it's a new, it was new, but it was like, it's been in process for probably 20 years or longer. And so I think like seeing it all happen, it was kind of surreal in a sense that it was actually happening, but we didn't really know like what was supposed to be happening, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like we had an idea of like what we, what outcomes that we wanted, but it was like, okay, are these all the people? Like, and then as you have conversations, like, well, it probably would be helpful if there was some business leadership here. And so, because we, as we think about school readiness and the key players, Texas School Ready, um, that uh, were there, Children's Learning Institute, the Texas Rising Stars, and the uh, Workforce Board, and um, the Texas Education Agency, and so all of these systems were there um, for that for that kind of core of school readiness. What you, when you think of school readiness, those are the things you think about. But it, it actually, from a more global perspective. It's a broader, right? So it's um, parents and families and business and industry and all of the, the community that surrounds these, those kind of three key systems. 
we all were kind of on the same page about what we were looking for as far as outcomes, but then kind of looking beyond um, how else could we use this information. What are the right ways to, to engage people and, and how do that, you know, how can we um, value their contributions and make the most of their contributions, specifically as it relates to something that's very difficult for, for anyone, which is working on a sort of data system report or working on a new analytic tool. As, as someone who brings um, a whole lot of insight and understanding of, of the system and where the system needs to go next, you know, in ways that really maximize your contributions to these types of um, planning efforts for, for, for data and analytic reports. Yeah, so I think it begins with um, understanding and really like knowing each other's stories, like, you know, what are the things that we struggle with in each of those levels? So in the community, what are things that, um, you know, are happening and think we have? Here we have an initiative. It was called SA 2020, and then they, it's now it's like 2030, I think it is. Um, but there, so there's already um, as a, at the community or the city level, they're really already looking at data. That's um, you know how are how is the what is the workforce looking like? What is the so the, that level of data is happening? Um, the schools, have, of course, have their data. Our, um, our um, public schools have data. Our Texas Rising Star. And so I think it's like being able to see and understand that at each level, there are, you know, the, the data that's already happening, but understanding each other's, right? Not just our own. And um, how that they fit together to really, how they can fit together to really create change. And, um, and that change is, is the system of school readiness, right? That it takes doesn't just take schools. It's not just about getting kids to kindergarten, you know, knowing letters and sounds, but it's about families being ready to um, send their students off to school in a healthy manner, <laughs> having communities ready to ready to accept the families and work with the families and provide the resources and things that are that are needed in the out in the community that can support that support these efforts as well. Um, and so I, th I think like for so many of the stakeholders that are there that are outside of school, it's difficult to see like, you know, how they connect. How, do, how does what I do, um, why does that matter to um, a child learning to talk or a child learning uh, their letters and sounds or how to read? I think that's critical, if not the key, which is we shouldn't be so, so arrogant as to think that we can create system uh, level change without understanding the human side of change. We always say like, it's, we're beginning with the end in mind, right? And so for us, we know what that is, but what is it for other stakeholders? What is it for business and industry? What is it for families? And, and so just making sure that all those perspectives are a part of our understanding as we you know, start to do this integration how is the integration going to be beneficial to each to each program and to each area and each stakeholder? And really, how then how how does that translate to better outcomes for students? And so I think, especially for our um, communities and all the people that that comprise that, um, helping them to see their connection to those outcomes, right? How do you do that? How do you how do you help them understand their role and their connection? Yeah, so I think unfortunately, sometimes it's seeing the data that's not so rosy, right? It's like seeing the things that are that um, only half of our kids are going to school ready, you know, ready. And so that's not a, just a testimony to you know what's happening at home. That's a testimony to every things that are happening community wide. That means that there's we're not having enough conversations with parents about having conversations with kids. That that can be and that can be something that everybody takes a part in, right? And also like looking at um, child abuse, and so it just extends, you know, way beyond um, the school demographic and helping them to see. Unfortunately, like I said, the not so nice stuff about it, right? We always want to say, oh, you know, kids are ready, but. And it sounds like 
from your perspective, you've been working in the field for long enough to have really developed an insight into what works and what doesn't. I kind of want to get to that next, but it sounds like helping people understand their real connection to the work is critical. And part of that might mean being honest about where there are gaps in the system or where there are need for improvement. This is about like, we still aren't where we need to be. So what else can we be doing? What do we need to do in order to get there? And we can't keep doing the same things we've been doing, right? So this is a new approach. It's a new um, way to look at data and information. And I think that the key is like, it's not your information. <laughs> it's other people. It's what else is, what else do you need to know that makes your picture and your data more complete and more usable and more um, integral in the planning that you do. However, you mentioned that that important work sometimes is what is done the least. And, and part of the reason is because, uh, well, there are many reasons why. And part of it is because it's hard and part of it's because not everyone is interested in, in that conversation or the, not everyone wants to be able to see where the gaps are. And so how do you get past that, that, that last barrier? Right where where you have these these really powerful uh, opportunities to engage people in ways that will that will really drive change, but folks may just not be prepared or 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 desirous of having those types of conversations. You know what are what are some strategies that you would suggest? So I think that um, as I've been like I said to many collaborations um, like this. Um, oftentimes it's the same agencies, the same kind of, um, the same stakeholder, stakeholders by name, by, um, agency, but always different people, right? And so people come and go. And so I think like, it's important that we look to creating some like continuity, finding ways that you don't just invite one person to come from an agency, but several people who kind of maybe have different perspectives within the same company or agency, but that can bring um, a level of understanding that it's not a one-time thing, but it's a process, an ongoing journey, right, that we're going to. And so um, it just, it feels like sometimes we like are start, it's like Groundhog Day, we're starting over every time. (laughs) And so, um, but because there's always new people, so you have to get new people up to speed. And so, making sure that your group is always like well connected and informed and always an, an integral part, right? So if you, I think sometimes if you feel like you're kind of on the periphery of um, a project that they, no one will miss you if you're not there. <laughs> but the truth is that, you know, for it to work, there really has to be, there has to be that deep level of buy-in um, across the stakeholders. And so I think finding ways that we can do that, which is relationships, right? Relationships, 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 and getting, uh, making sure that, that each agency that is coming to, to the table has a key role. Now, all the role, all the roles are important, but making sure that everyone feels that, feels their contribution a big, a part of that, um, part of that bigger picture, right? So I think that's one thing, um, you know, making sure that those partnerships and those relationships within that group of, of um, stakeholders is very strong and that everyone feels or understands their, um, the importance of their contribution to the, to the system. And um, those are two things that you brought up here as strategies for how you can address the, the key problem and also the solution to so many of our stakeholder engagement issues, which is that you know people may not feel that they can really be personally connected or involved or have the 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 um, institutional knowledge or the courage to face some um, tough challenges. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't think of any issue or initiative or grant that this is not going to be an integrated, uh, integral a part of in designing and talking about how we're going, you know, what we're going to do and how we're going to provide services based on, on the information here.
Phil, it was great to hear the excitement about her experience and that it was really, uh, she found it to be beneficial. I think she mentioned a lot of the lessons learned both in the broad stakeholder engagement activities in Texas, but also reminded us that sometimes it's hard uh, when you don't see the progress made over time and how that it helps to manage those expectations with stakeholders. I mean, we hear that often about the challenges um, Again, when we go back to the lessons learned about gaining buy-in and how frustrating it can be to take time uh, to really develop useful analytics managing those expectations. So I think this reiterates for state leaders developing data analytics that they should be creating strategic goals for engagement and pacing the sequence of stakeholders engaged in the process so they can see those small successes and engaging the right folks at the right time to really provide valuable feedback. And she has many practical insights too. I, I really loved her suggestion of making sure you had more than one person from some of these um, big important uh, partner agencies to attend because of the slowdown that can occur when when you have turnover, which we've talked about. She also had some, I thought, provocative ideas about um, how to create engagement. And sometimes it does, it can include for her um, creating a space which might be a little uncomfortable um, because the data is both, I think, aspirational and can be motivational in a couple ways. And one is if you're looking at areas that the system needs to grow or gaps. And she, she covered that in the interview. And I, I agree. I think that is an interesting engagement approach that may work um, as, part of, as part of your overall strategy. Another thing that she brought up is something that is is real, which is that it's not simply fatigue and it's not simply the fact that people are too busy, but that there is perhaps even some rational reasons why people may be resistant to participating or to seeing these types of initiatives move forward. And that goes back to the idea that, that data can in some ways um, be used for improvement, but the flip side of that is the worry that it could be a hammer of accountability or simply that it, it's identifying issues that we're, we're not ready to deal with or at least talk about. And so that resistance is something that can be addressed both by the facilitator at the state level, but also by the participants to help others come along and see the value into model participation, which she has done very well in Texas. And I know, having heard from Howard, how much he values stakeholders like Jennifer, who are able to help move the group forward. Yeah, and I think this goes back to where we started the discussion, right? Some of our lessons learned over time really highlight the things that Jennifer was saying were challenges and what they what she appreciated about the experience in the, in the process that Howard did use. Uh, so we spoke about whether he disagreed with or agreed with some of the, the comments that we've made about stakeholders and, you know, the process of stakeholder engagement over the last decade. So let's listen in. Okay, so initially we would say things like, by engaging stakeholders, you're going to build buy-in. Do you agree with that statement? Do you disagree? What have you seen in practice? I agree with that statement. So really to build buy-in is essentially a stakeholder is actually going to be able to use that uh, tool in their programs, uh, but also be able to train other individuals within their programs uh, and also be able to share that in a positive uh, manner to colleagues, to friends, uh, to other people in their community and really speak to how that will be beneficial to other program areas. Okay, what about this one? Engage as many as possible. I do not agree with that statement. How would you clarify that? What you've learned in Texas? So I think Texas is obviously a big state. So if we engaged every stakeholder, we'd probably have 100,000 people in a meeting, which just is not logistically possible to have constructive feedback and be able to move a project forward in an uh, efficient period of time. So I think that's where you kind of identify the key stakeholders that are going to be most impactful uh, for a project initiative. Um, now, they don't necessarily have to participate as stakeholder engagement for, you know, five years. You do want to 
be able to say, well, uh, this may be a good stakeholder group for this part of the project, but then that might evolve just depending on the work that's being done, or you don't want to rely on the same stakeholders for every initiative and project. So there is um, a point in time where you do want to kind of rotate and then identify other key stakeholders. But I think you need to have that manageable so you can really keep the project moving forward. And another one we often hear is only include people who can contribute data. Um, I think in our case, many of our stakeholders were not contributing data. They had data pieces or pieces that were involved in that, but they you may have stakeholders that are using that data to support the programs in their area. So they may not be con- actually contributing data, but they're providing professional development or technical assistance based on the data that's being collected. And so thinking about the steps forward, what advice would you have for other states who are looking to engage stakeholders or really maybe rethink the stakeholders that they've been engaging? One of the, my approaches was identifying key stakeholders, but not allowing that stakeholder group to get too large, but ensure that you have uh, individuals that are representing uh, the communities that are going to be using the data. Also ensuring that they're completely and fully aware of the data that's being collected and how it's being currently used. Uh, But also know that, ensure that they know the scope of the project um, that you're working with. In our uh, example, we were looking at two state agencies' data. Um, And so we'd often get multiple questions about, well, why aren't we using this other agency's data, um, and when can we do that? And so really kind of just restating that uh, there are certain limitations uh, within the scope of certain projects and initiatives. And so let's do that part successfully first uh, before we then go layering in other data sets. Um, And not that we don't want to do that at some point, uh, but really kind of look at here's phase one of this project, here's phase two, of this project. Here's phase three. We would really love to get to phase four and five, but there's going to be some additional things that may need to happen, whether that be additional funding, you know, additional time to sort out data sharing agreements. Uh, Multiple things would go into that next step or next phase process. And through those phases, Howard, your stakeholders changed during some of the initial planning phases. Um, and we saw that being really beneficial, I think, to the final product development. How do you how do you see that change over time helping in? And it seemed to be very natural and kind of folks engaging at the right time, given what they knew they could contribute as experts in the field. Uh, what would you what advice would you have for other states about the shifts that happen in stakeholder teams over time? I think some of the advice that I would give regarding to that statement would be that um, you know we understand that. You're looking at certain entities or individuals or programs to provide input, to provide guidance, but as that project or initiative evolves, they might have other key uh, team members or colleagues within their own areas that might be able to support the project as it kind of evolves. So whether you're looking at the beginning kind of planning phase of the stakeholder engagement, whether you're looking at... um, more of the continuation work or whether you're looking at the implementation um, and then or also communication or training of that different individuals may bring different strengths and so i think it's key to be ever be able to leverage those strengths from different stakeholder groups should they have uh, a colleague that might be able to step in and provide additional support on that so i think just being able to know and uh, being able to have that rapport and relationship with those stakeholders is key uh, to be able to facilitate that involvement ongoing. That's great. And one of the things you all did that I think was really, really thoughtful about the approach from the beginning is that you engage the key leadership from across the agencies in the goal setting process. And then you use the state program administrators and the community partners on the implementation side. Are the reflections, would you have done that process again if you, you know, if you had another tool that you were looking to create? Yes, I think that worked really well for us to be able to 
as a division kind of have a planning meeting, uh, but then also our partner agency with continued uh, planning meetings and with both agency leadership and then next step with the stakeholders. So that worked out uh, nicely for us in the work that we were doing. Great. Well, I appreciate your time, Howard. Do you have any final thoughts or kind of comments you would want other states to know if they're about to engage in a very similar process? Any final words? Um, I think my my biggest advice would be establish positive um, relationships with your stakeholders across the state. I think that's been really successful for our state agency, our team, and myself. You know, over the years that I've been a statewide coordinator in our team, um, is to really build those relationships, um, to really have that open communication. You really want those stakeholders to be able to come to the meetings and feel like they can speak freely about any comments or uh, suggestions that they may have. So I think having those uh, strong communication relationships with your stakeholders really ends up in a better product or better analytic tool in the long run. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Howard, for your time today and for sharing the Texas experience. We look forward to seeing what happens next with your your Texas education tools. So thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate being a part of this. So, Missy, Howard highlights an intentional plan for stakeholder engagement that that um, we piloted, right, with with our EC Data Works states. And when you know he, and when he answered yes to your first question about building buy-in, he's re- referencing the model that that we worked with him on and, and implemented. Yeah, and I think that model really builds both from the research that we we were very intentional about reviewing prior to engaging states to think about what are what are some of those best practices about stakeholder engagement in public um, with public agencies, and then use that and our experience. Right, we've done this a lot. We've done a lot of stakeholder engagement work over the years with an easy IDS, and so I think building that, uh, we wanted to really think through what might those tasks look like as we develop data analytics, which is a little different again than the process of planning for an ECIDS. But when we did this, I think you and I talked about the four tasks we really saw this model using and kind of breaking down into. And we really grounded this in the first task around establishing a goal statement. And for us, that really needed to be um, inclusive and focused on the state initiatives at the time, where they were trying to move, what they were focused on, so that it would align to where the state was headed. We didn't want these goals, to, we didn't want the analytic to be outside of that that scope. And so establishing that goal statement was really critical. And I think that also meant that, that in that particular task, they were really focused on a small group of state leaders and some of the key stakeholders who were part of the, the kind of outlining the state priorities at that time. Right. And this task could be accomplished in, in one meeting or convening or over a series of meetings. Um, and it, it varied state by state. It could um, include topics like we want to work on improving transitions or we want to think about professionalizing the workforce or a goal statement could uh, reference uh, supporting local community engagement. Right. And in Texas, they had a goal statement that was very aligned to where they were at that time. Yeah, I agree. And they and with their their priorities at that time, especially given the work that they had done around ELC and PDG, was they had this wonderful KEA data, but it, how was it being used to really inform policy and practice, which I think led to the second task about convening stakeholders to develop the use case. And this is where we went into great detail with them about the kinds of actions and decisions that they would make if they had an analytic tool that really kind of drove towards the goal. And there were different people who were part of that second task of developing use cases than there were at the first stage of developing the goal statement. Yeah, that's right. And I think that those stakeholders continued on into our third task, which was really reviewing what they had initially drafted and thought about. So um, we, I think our team did some work between the, the second task of creating the use cases and then use that to create um, what we called a conceptual mock-up. That again, when we talk about uh, pacing the sequence of the the work and the engagement, we wanted to give them something concrete to see, even though it wasn't coming out of the the system yet, so that they could respond to 
develop and we you know you and I knew in particular working with our tech team that a lot of the states were investing a lot of money at that time in um, in developing these tools and then when they were piloted or released people would want changes and those those changes cost you know time and money so we really thought about if we could create these conceptual mock-ups early and get the feedback and allow people to kind of reflect and talk about how they would be used to change practice that we would get some really good feedback prior to even the development of the tool. So this third task of getting to a, a mock-up is something that if you were short on time or if you uh, had an overly rigid PMP development process, you might just jump right in here. It's like, let's do our business requirement gathering now. We spent over a year, or I shouldn't say we, I mean, we were supporting Howard and the work had, there had gone on even before um, our involvement. But we started then task three with this mock-up conception, having a really great group of people engaged and already seeing progress as we get into what does the tool need to look like. Which made it great as we went into the fourth task, which when we brought the stakeholders back together for what we called the tool demonstration, which is this final stage of release and which we knew was not the end of the engagement, but it was an end of a, of a process. And I think this also, there's two parts to this, this task that I think are really important. One was that it's important for them to see that, that end result, even though it might be phase one of the development and an early version of it that the system can do now that will evolve over time. But the other part of it is that there, it's also important as we think about stakeholder engagement to know that it, it won't go on forever. I think this idea, and, and Jennifer and Howard talked about this in their interviews, that when there's like a never-ending cycle, people come and go anyway. But this reality of like, it's nice to have some time-limited engagement and that folks will continue on with roles will change over time. Exactly. So that they can see how their contributions are used. And the way that we did that is between each of these tasks, we had some very um, specific activities that we that we were working on. So it's both what's going on during these engagement opportunities, where everyone sort of is aware of the conversation and, and, and the status, but it's the work that needs to go on between. So very briefly, between the goal setting and use case um, tasks, our team worked with Howard and his to conduct an assessment of information needs on a broad group, the, even folks who were not part of these conversations. We collected data through survey and interview and then presented that at the um, convening to develop use cases. And that really helped already start to allow people to see that there was something happening, there was some movement. Between the use case and the mock-up convenings, uh, we gave homework out and we equipped everyone who had participated to then go back to their teams and to move through some group activities to further develop those use cases. And we provided them with facilitation guides on how to do that. And then between the mock-up and the demo, they were providing feedback and they were even in some uh, cases testing the analytic tool in development. And so all of those activities that happened between the face-to-face -face engagement opportunities, those helped also keep things moving. Yeah, so we certainly converged on a lot of different stakeholder engagement topics today, and, and I do really appreciate that what this model has been able to help states do is maximize the appropriate use of these stakeholders and, and helping them to be more successful in getting the right feedback from the right folks at the right time. So going forward, we hope to continue this series by focusing on the positionality of the work within an organization and shared leadership. And we hope that this helps to think about the role of governance that informs the work of the ECIDS and the data analytics developed from it uh, to help inform the data managers and staff. And we hope to bring the nation's best knowledge to you wherever you are. Thank you for listening to another episode of the EC Data Works podcast. Mm -hmm.